It's FAQ NYC Off Cycle, where the New Yorkist podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city, steps back to take different and deeper looks into some of the things that are always happening here in the only place in the world. I'm Alyssa Katz, the city's executive editor, and in this installment of FAQ, I'm speaking with Paul Moses, an esteemed journalist who has covered New York City for decades, professor emeritus of journalism at Brooklyn College, and author of a new book just out from NYU Press, The Italian Squad, the true story of the immigrant cops who fought the rise of the mafia. Let's jump right in. Paul Moses, welcome to FAQ NYC. Thank you, Alyssa. So let's get started here. I wanted to know, you know what got you on this subject in the first place? You know, the the Italian squad, this NYPD force that was detailed to go after what was the early makings of the American mafia. Like, what, what got you on this? I had done a previous book on uh, history of New York's Irish and Italians. And it was at one time a very contentious relationship with the theme that they eventually got quite close and intermarried. But I had a chapter on that about uh, the Italian, early Italian police, uh, especially Joseph Petrosino, who became the head of the Italian squad and, and the difficulties they had in, in dealing with a, a, an Irish-dominated police department. And I, 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 I just maybe want to write more about it. The sto- story really seemed like such a good story. So I, you know, I came back to it for the next book. So you're talking about it being a good story, which it very much is, but there's also some really like, powerful themes that we'll talk about in this conversation around policing, around the history of immigration, around this time in New York City, kind of at the turn of the 20th century, um, where all these kind of questions around like assimilation and what it meant to be Italian-American and what it meant to be American— um, and what the purpose of policing was, like, are all kind of in play. So I'm curious what particularly, what are, are there aspects? And there's also just sort of interesting stories, right, to, in, in the mix as well. But what, what drew you and made you convinced this is a book, this is a story that needs to be told? I think the immigration aspects of it appeal to me a lot in my journalism. I've done a lot of reporting on the immigration system and just seeing how a ethnic group was really targeted as, as criminal, um, just seem relevant today also. And uh, the Italian squad detectives were very much in the middle of the cutting edge issue of the era, you know, immigration, whether to, and ultimately immigration was cut off. And the fear over crime, especially crime in the Italian community, I think uh, contributed a lot to the movement uh, to end immigration. So th- that part of the story appealed to me a lot also. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of names. You mentioned Joseph Petrosino, um, and I had known that name. I'm a Brooklyn resident, and I had known that name as like, oh, that's that park over, I think it's in Bensonhurst, right? And who is this Petrosino? And I didn't know until I read your book. And you start your book with Petrosino. Um, and you know, tell us about who he was and why he's such an important figure in this, in this history. He was an Italian immigrant who... Um caught the eye of a notorious police inspector named, nicknamed Clubber Williams, who, who saw some, some, some use in him and got him into the police department. And after quite a few years of laboring, uh, he caught the eye of Teddy Roosevelt when he was a police commissioner, and Roosevelt promoted him to detective. There were hardly any Italian-speaking police officers, and there was... Italian community just growing and growing, you know, with one of the world's great migrations underway. And 
so really all the Italian crimes were, were, were channeled to him. And he was good at his detective work, became very famous. Um, 1904, the city was in the midst of a kind of a big hysteria over so-called black hand bombings. And under pressure from the newspapers, and I would say also from the Italian community, the police commissioner at that time created the Italian squad with Lieutenant Petrosino as its head. Right. And then, you know, Petrosino, I mean, there, there's a reason there's, again, a park named after him and that he became kind of a, a legend and he became a martyr for this cause, right? And specifically around his, um, you know, he goes to Sicily, he... Um, is trying to connect these dots. And it was very evocative, of course, of more recent NYPD expeditions, particularly around Muslim terrorism. Um, but, you know, you have the NYPD lieutenant who's going to Sicily to try to find, like, help solve, I think, some crimes that affected New Yorkers. And there's also this kind of very sensitive issue you touch on in the book around um, the links between immigration and crime, which of course are, you know, remain very explosive today as questions to discuss. I mean, back then there was both uh, the reality that most Italian Americans were not at all involved in crime. And in fact, were much more likely to be victims, right? Of all these extortion rackets, other things that were, were going on. Mm -hmm. And then you had mafiosi from Sicily who were escaping Italian justice. And then Petrosino tries to get in the middle of all that. Exactly. Petrosino felt that very strongly. And you see it between the lines of a lot of newspaper coverage of him. He, was, he got a lot of coverage that he keeps trying to tell reporters that, you know, it's only a very small minority of Italians who are committing these crimes. And most of the people are here to work very hard. And the Southern Italians coming in uh, may not be that well educated, but they will be, and they're they're going to be productive citizens. But there's a very strong, you know, movement, fed even by eugenicist theories that were, you know, totally acceptable to leading academics at the time. That Italians were would never make citizens in the United States. They weren't didn't have the the quality to to do that. So he's working against that. Um, he goes to Sicily in part because. There is a law that was passed in 1907 that says that uh, if people have come in with criminal records from another country, they can be deported back within the first three years. His situation in New York is that he's got good ties into the community, but people still don't want to testify. So he knows a lot more than he can prove in court, but he doesn't need any witnesses if he can get these certificates and deport these the people he su suspects back back to Italy, so the, that's the the general aim of his trip. He also wants to uh, arrange um, contacts in there and sources and better relations with the Italian police. So that that's the reason he goes, and you know he's famously murdered there in Sicily, March 12, nineteen o nine. And I chose to start the book with that scene. It usually ends stories about the Italian squad, but it actually goes on until 1922, on and off. And I'm intrigued because he remains a character throughout, like that person whose photo was on the wall, maybe. Uh, he's, he's an influence. Um, the people who leave the squad after him were close to him. They really, really want to solve his murder. And of course, they're laboring under the, uh, the threat of similar violence to themselves. 
Um, so, so that's where he is. And yeah, I, to me, I think he's probably the most famous uh, police officer we've had in New York City. Yeah, that's um, it's a fascinating story. I mean, before we get into sort of more more fascinating stories and more of the dimensions of what happens next with the Italian squad, I wanted to get a sense of your research methods, like how you went about telling the story. And as, you know, as an editor and journalist covering New York City now, sort of seeing the depth of material that you have access to archivally, a lot of which I think would now be classified or very difficult to access. But in, in some cases, you're dealing as well with, you know, news coverage. But there's, you know, there's a real mix of materials in play here and a, and a lot of very revealing insights. So how did you go yeah. about that? I mean, certainly newspaper coverage is very important, but you really have to be careful with that because this was a subject that was really prone to being sensationalized. But there's a lot more you can do. For example, I I found a lot of details on Petrosino's murder and the initial response to it in records of the State Department that are now, now available because all the communications between New York and Italy were rooted through the State Department. And there was this one uh, poor guy who was the U.S. consul in Palermo when Petrosino was murdered there. He had gotten to know Petrosino. And he also has his own archives that are kept at Yale. Uh, he had been a popular novelist back in the day and a professor of literature at Yale. And here he was in his later years, he's 62, and he gets first of all in the middle of the giant earthquake in 1908. And now 1909, he's... He's get, he himself was getting threatening letters after Petrosino was murdered. So he kept an interesting diary and, and also lots of official records that he had. So there are sources like that. Um, the next uh, commander uh, who stepped in, Anthony Bacris, he had been commander of the Brooklyn unit of the Italian squad because in those days, you know, Brooklyn was still, still kind of looked at itself as a separate city and he got very good coverage in the Brooklyn Eagle because he was from a Brooklyn institution. You could clearly see that this was his paper and whatever he thought was in the Eagle, right? So he went over to complete Petrosino's mission and fortunately he kept a diary and left it with his family. So uh, the Bacchus family uh, gave me a copy of that. And so that, things like that are really helpful and it also gives you a sense of where the papers are right and wrong because after he came back, the, the commissioner forbade him to speak to anybody about his trip. And there had been a change in, lead, in, in police department's leadership. So he was in the doghouse when he came back and even the records he had risked his life to get uh, weren't used. But It's incredible. <laughs> but, but if you compare, so, so I think the reporters at the time were relying on police headquarters gossip to report what Bacris had done in Italy but it was really terribly off the mark. And, and I know because his, you know, there's a diary which they wouldn't have had access to, except the Eagle. The Eagle kind of had, had the story right because Bacris must have talked to them for background. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little journalism methods insight yeah. there. Um, the, uh, one other no. thing, court records are very helpful too because you can, they really you know, take a crime apart and yeah. you, yeah. So. And, you know, you talk about the secrecy around, you know, Vacris's return. It's quite in contrast with, I think, you know, one, one detail about Petrosino's murder, it was just astounding, is that, you know, the police commissioner like, announces before he goes to Sicily that he's going to Sicily to hunt mobsters, it, right? It's it, just incredible. You know, you and I both covered City Hall. <laughs> so, you know, the back and forth that goes on between the reporters and the mayor and the police commissioner. 
And he just got so frustrated. The Tammany alderman just couldn't stand this police commissioner of Bingham, who was a very blue blood Republican. Anti-Semitic. <laughs> Anti-Semitic, yes. Uh, and, and uh, but he did like the Italian squad. He, he, they were, he, in some ways he was good for the Italian squad. So he actually wanted to create a secret squad that reported only to the commissioner of civilian investigators. So they wouldn't even be in the, in the records or subject to departmental discipline or anything. Um, and Petrosino was sent over under that umbrella. And he, the alderman would not give him funding for this, but he managed to raise it from private sources, probably like Rockefeller and people like that. And I think Italian merchants who were afraid of the- of It's better than protection down. money. You pay the cops to yeah. get rid of these guys, yeah. And, and so he couldn't resist blabbing that to the reporters, yes. And Petrosino arrives in Italy he visits his hometown of Padula, which is near Salerno, sort of, sort of to the south. Meet, sees his family, his brother, who he hasn't seen since he was a boy. And he finds out that this has been leaked into the papers back home. He's just like outraged, you know? And, and plus they sent him by himself. They should have never sent him on his own on a mission. And I guess I shouldn't get started on this, but they also, this is really a diplomatic mission. He met, you know, with very high up officials that, you know, really beyond the world of, of a police lieutenant to, to do that. Um, so, yeah, it, yeah. Was, a, it was a mess. <laughs> Seriously. And, you know, the politics are really a theme throughout this book as well, right? Because, you know, different mayors come and go and sort of the comings and goings themselves are fascinating, right? One mayor is a subject of an assassination attempt and another, you know, mayor you know, falls out of a, a plane, right? This is all part of New York City history. But as as each of these administrations turn, and even within administrations, you have different police commissioners, and there's different degrees of hostility, incompetence, pro-Tammany, anti-Tammany, all happening. And the Italian squad sort of has different iterations and lives throughout this. It, it gave me an appreciation for how much police work does depend on who's in charge in City Hall. Um, and that probably still holds in a lot of ways. Sure. And I think the most immediate um, effect that you talk about in your book, you, you talk about uh, Vacris, um, you know, who's the successor to Petrosino in heading the Italian squad. And, and how many months or years did he actually, was he actually able to do this work before he was no longer allowed to? Well, he was head of the Brooklyn squad from 1907 to about 1909. And then from about 1910 and 1911, they brought him into Manhattan because they realized they needed him. There were kidnappings that weren't being solved. They were all over the newspapers. And he was good at what he did. I, I had a lot of respect for, for Vacris as a cop, but he, uh, he just did not tell the bosses what they wanted to hear. And they started reducing the squad a lot and he started complaining and then he testified before a Brooklyn grand jury that was looking into why the police commissioner is, is ending the Italian squad and he testified there and all of a sudden he was transferred, uh, wound up on City Island and, and, you know, City Island in those days to get there. You know, people are taking horse-drawn carts and... Well, he lives and, in Brooklyn. Let's just yeah, clarify yeah, this. Yeah, he's he, not just coming from the Bronx. He's coming from Brooklyn. Yeah, he lived Island. in what we yeah. would call Sunset Park. Yeah. So, in fact, that was probably the most popular neighbor, neighborhood for police officers in that day. But, um, so, yeah, so they... It, and he's on I, street patrol there, right? He's not running a unit or anything. Well, or he, he was yeah. still a lieutenant, okay. so he was he was working from an office, like, on a night shifts and stuff oh. like that. But, uh, 
Yeah, no, they, and the newspapers eventually began to ask, you know, where is Vakris? They knew that they needed him. Um, and they they needed the unit, but yet there's still a question, do you want an Italian squad? Do you want a squad named yes. for one ethnicity? And in the beginning, the, I say the leadership of the Italian community, uh, the answer was yes. But within a couple of years, uh, there was a lot of controversy around it. Yeah, no, I was just going to ask about that. I mean, you basically had elements within the, and not just elements, but like leaders within the Italian-American community as they're trying to kind of um, counter some serious prejudice, including within the NYPD for that matter, but throughout society, um, these ideas is, you know, that, Italians are inferior and not sort of have the makings of being good Americans. And they're like, no, no, we're just like everyone else. We, we, we're entitled to be here. And then, yeah, that was, it, I think it was along with that, that you mm -hmm. really had pushback around this effort to really target criminal elements within the Italian community. Yeah. So you talk a little bit about how that, that played out. Yeah. There was a division within the Italian community. Um, and those who wanted to, who were pushing for the Italian squad, Tend to be a little closer to the reform movement, and 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 the, the reform movement did not really have the pulse of the Italian community. I would say, no. to put it put, put it nicely, um, and the the leadership, you know, like the the publisher of of uh, Il Progresso and people like that, were against it. So yeah, that that's how that that played out. But I found that it kind of existed in a shadow form, the way things tend to happen sometimes in the police department, you know, when they announce we're disbanding this unit, but it's sort of like still is around, not just not called that anymore. And, that, and that's what happened. And the, the detective who, who kind of played the lead role in that period was uh, Charles Correo, who, who I deal with a lot in the book, um, who distinguished himself as the first winner of the NYPD's Medal of Honor, their their highest award. So, so he he was, you know, he had done a lot of good work, also. Yeah, and you also highlight at least one. There's one one chapter where you focus on um, organized crime that is definitely not Italian. It's, it involves the um, murder of Herman Rosenthal and the scandal around kind of how the police handled and, and mishandled that. And you know, you call it a crime that set off the biggest policing scandal in, in New York City history. I have to admit, you know, shamefully, I was just not aware of this episode in history. So why don't you tell us about that and, and how this kind of fits into this, this yeah. larger narrative? There was a mayor uh, who took off. He was the one who was shot in, in office and, yeah. and he didn't die. He, he persisted for a while. But William Gaynor, he's actually one of the most interesting people in the history of the city that I've that I've seen anyway he there's a statue of him or a bust of some kind in, in a cabin plaza he he was a true civil libertarian and he was very alarmed by police violence by unnecessary arrests I mean the whole agenda that is, is very big agenda today right the whole and he got complaints from the public he called he investigated himself he called the officers in and he told the police commissioner I expect you know X to be done Corruption was not as big a deal to him. It was the cutting edge issue for the, the reform movement. He actually got elected more on the question of police violence. Anyway, they decide that they're going to consolidate the, the vice enforcement in a unit that's generally called the strong arm squad. And they pick, he and his commissioner pick um, this Lieutenant Charles Becker to head it. And they were as violent and aggressive as their, their name kind of <laughs> indicates. And 
they're shaking up a lot of neighborhoods, getting a lot of people angry. It's the old outside task force approach. Uh, I have one little thing in the na in the paper where the Brooklyn Eagle and local police officers on the beat are very critical of them for coming in and invading the local black community and arresting all the people they knew to be, you know, the respectable people um, in a sweep, you know. They're also, you know, pretty violent, but they also handled um, vice and vice enforcement. And what that worked out to do was that it just centralized the, pay, the shakedown system. And Becker turned out to be totally crooked. Uh, he was very, you know, highly respected cop, but, and then uh, there was a gambler who just decided he was tired of being shaken down by, by Becker and he went to the DA, Charles Whitman, who became governor later, Manhattan DA. And like literally six hours before he's supposed to go and meet with Whitman and spill the whole story, he gets murdered in, in Times Square. And that, that sets off this giant, giant scandal. It's an important part of the story just because it affects everything that happens in the police department. But also I included it because it was a former Italian squad detective who the commissioner had, you know, demoted, lowered his pay by 40% and sent him out into the sticks on patrol, uh, who they call back in uh, to work the case. And he made a key arrest. He, he, there were four gunmen and he, he made the first of the arrests of the, of the gunmen. You know, that was a really striking um, theme for me, and this isn't to diminish the role of police brutality today, but the sort of commonplace of uh, not just shakedowns, um, but also beatdowns. I mean, another part, part of the book with different uh, characters, um, you know, you talk about just, you know, the third degree and the sort of relish with which the officers will, you know, take in uh, suspects or even people who they just want to you know, have the actual people they want to target, you know, scare them into, you know, thinking of it, that they'll be tortured next, right? If they yeah. hear the screams. I mean, just incredible practices. So talk a little bit about that. And, and was it like, how, how bad was it then? It, it sounds pretty bad. The town squad, I, I would say, had a reputation for being pretty rough, but it's a little hard to tell because the newspapers seemed to enjoy it if they were beating up Italians. Um, I mean, there was, a, there was a, re, a grand jury report at the time, you know, presentment at the time, you know, urging that, police, you know, use more violence on people in bad neighborhoods. Incredible. So, 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 um, th there was, it's pretty clear to me that there was a pretty, there was a wanton use of nightsticks and that's why Mayor Gaynor could run on this issue. This was not just confined to even a, a minority group. I think, I think that, you know, it, it was a citywide identification with this issue that, that, uh, Mayor Gaynor raised, uh, in 1910. With the Italian squad, I think they were often in a position where they knew who committed a crime, but, but could not prove it unless there was a confession. And, and it, it's, it's no excuse, but I think their violence was pretty, was pretty targeted. It, it does seem to be pretty routine in arrests. Um, you, you know, we read that they, they ran after a guy that caught him and they beat him with their butts of their, with their, of their pistols, or you see that a lot. And it's, it's all, it's all in there. Um, the most horrendous scene comes kind of late in the Italian squad's existent, existence when a very famous detective, nationally famous detective, Michael Fiaschetti headed the squad. And it was a kidnapping case, little boy, five years old. 
they arrested the people who showed up to, you know, get the money and, and all that. Probably a mistake. They, they, they maybe should have waited and followed those people because they didn't know where the boy was being kept. So they thought they could get it out of them and they did just about everything that could be done to somebody and they didn't get it out, out of them. Um, Fiaschetti writes a memoir later on when he's in private life and, and says not, you know, and, and talks about how when he found out that this little boy had been murdered, he, came, he comes back to the jail and beats the heck out of, out of these people. So that's picked up in a national report on police violence. It's, it's kind of the first national commission on law enforcement in 1930 uh, called the Wickersham Commission. And so he kind of becomes famous even to this day as one of the you know examples of, of police violence. So it's, it's definitely a part of the story. Although I, I think that Fiaschetti was probably pretty good at persuading people to talk. That was, he was a very good detective. But on this, this occasion, they, they just were beating them for hours and hours and, and, and couldn't get anything out of them. There was a police reporter who later wrote in a book who said he'd never seen people beaten so badly. Uh, and he was a very you know, long-time police reporter. So it's, it, it is a part of the story. And it was, a, it was an issue then too. It's not just like, oh, everybody does this. You know, there were politicians who, who were making an issue of it at, at that time, including a mayor. Yeah. And I think another political aspect that comes through in your telling, I mean, there were both kind of targeted crimes, such as the kidnapping of this boy that the kidnappers thought maybe thought was rich, but his family wasn't. Um, but also, you know, these these shootings of bystanders are sort of another kind of galvanizing um, event. And, you, and there is this kind of theme also of just like random gun violence and also bombings and just sort of, you know, a lot of, I think people may be familiar with the anarchist bombings and sort of how that kind of came on the landscape later or the mad bombing, mad bomber later on. But these were bombings were part of extortion efforts and other kind of targeted mob-related attacks that had collateral damage and, and, and put all kinds of people at risk. Yeah, there was this thing called the so-called Black Hand. Never a big organization that was always a for, false portrayal that you know everybody believed because they read it. Um, it was just isolated groups of thugs who adopted this scary label of a black hand on, on their extortion letters. And, but there were a lot of bombings. Bombs would be set in tenements at night, some very dangerous stuff. And so really the, for, the bomb squad sort of evolved out of the Italian squad because detectives like Correa were, were really handling a lot of bombings. Um, yeah, a, a little bit later in the teens, you start getting you know serious concerns about an anarchist bombings also. And at that point, really the bomb squad became a separate entity and, and focused, really, the bomb squad was really like a radical squad. Um, and all, there were all kinds of civil liberties issues attached to, to their, their methods also. Yeah, and you know there was one bombing attempt that was unsuccessful, which I again, some, yet another thing I learned about from the for the first time from your book, which is of St. Patrick's Cathedral was also a target, and this was a case that really brought up all kinds of questions about entrapment, and you know there was you, you had an undercover agent who's working within this group of anarchists, Italian anarchists. So there's a connection that, at, at that time. Um, and, um, yeah, some very thorny issues that played out the, there. This is around 1915 
And it's a period in which um, the Italian squad supposedly was folded in with the bomb squad, but really there were just about no Italian speaking officers on it. So the yeah, there were a number of anarchist attacks on, on churches in that period. And so uh, the, the head of the squad, you know, concerned about this, um, starts looking for an Italian-speaking officer and takes this young fellow right out, basically right out of training, Amadeo Polignani. And they send him in, you know, by himself again. And, and you, you, they seem to be making all the exact mistakes they did with Petrosino to the point where after this whole thing is disclosed, Petrosino's widow, Adelina Petrosino, gives an interview to the papers saying, you know, how could they be doing this? This You've made a target of this poor young fellow and his you know, pictures in the newspapers with his wife and everything. Fortunately, nothing happened to Amadeo Palignani, but the way the investigation was handled, he went a long way towards inducing these two kind of hangers on to the anarchist gang to do the bombing. And they were caught before a bomb was actually exploded. But entrapment law, which was really almost non-existent at the time, has always given, it's not an easy defense to prove. So would they have done it without him supplying, helping to pay for the materials and a place to, you know, build the bomb and all that? I, I don't know. That was the, so the anarchists had some grounds to be angry, but they were convicted. The, the, you know, the they, uh, jury was persuaded that I mean, they, they were in it. There was, there was no question, but you know, anyway, it's one of those murky things. And, and it is kind of reminiscent of a lot of cases that have been made post 9-11, uh, where, where say the FBI will, um, you know, have an informant who talks to somebody and, you know, and, you know, there's always the question of, is it, is this informant making this happen or would it have happened without him? Yeah. yeah. It's just another example of what we were talking about before of these methods that I think now we'd look back and think, no, mm -hmm. <laughs> like no way, but we're, mm -hmm. we're commonplace then. Um, so last question for you, Paul, um, I just, um, wanted to know, were there any kind of, um, records or questions or, um, pieces of the history that you really chased after, really hoped to get, but you really, the, you know, the documentation just wasn't there or where, you know, the, yeah, just some aspect eluded you, but you really had questions you and wanted to answer. You, you always want to know more, you know, um, nothing's jumping to mind right away, but there, there were a lot of things that were useful in piecing things together, but, I didn't see uh, personnel files. It, part of the problem is that before 1915, I think the police department just kind of got lost all their records. Um, I'm not the first to to find that out. Um, but there were some good tools like the city record. You know the city oh, record. I know the city record. The very fine well. print newspaper with all the boring stuff. Well, back in those days, they used to put every police personnel move move in there. So stuff like that was very valuable and in piecing together what happened. But, um, you know, I always want to get more into their personal lives. And, you know, there's just only so much documentation for that. I, I was lucky to have a diary for Anthony Vacris for a, a period of a few months, but um, stuff like that really gives you the flavor. So there's not much of that around. Maybe it's out there somewhere, but I didn't find that. Okay, well, Paul Moses, Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Moses is the author of The Italian Squad, The True Story of the Immigrant Cops Who Fought the Rise of the Mafia. Uh, thank you so much for joining FAQ NYC. It's a pleasure, Alyssa. Thank you. FAQ. <laughs>
This has been FAQ NYC. We're part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We are an affiliate of NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Find it all at popula.com. I'm your host, Alyssa Katz, executive editor of The City. Harry Siegel is our executive producer, and Adam Kamara is our engineer. A special thank you to our guest, Paul Moses, and thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more.